Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Do you guys have your Bible? Say yeah. Yeah. Do you have a paper Bible? Say I am holy. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue this series in our study of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea. Today we're going to pick up our study. I think this is week eight or nine in our 16-week series. Uh, we're going to be reading today Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. And, and if you're not familiar with the way that we do church, we are a book-by-book, line-by-line church. We believe in what's called expository preaching, which means we take the whole word in context from start to finish. We don't cherry-pick. Rarely will we do a topic series, most of the time we will take the text for what it says and trust God for the rest. Amen? I'm finding that as a preacher and a pastor, it's challenging to do it this way, but is sufficient to do it this way. God meets all needs and speaks all things to all people through this word because it is living and active in Jesus' name. Galatians 3 and 10, it reads like this. For All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, for Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's you, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. The title of our message today is Curses and Blessings. Curses and Blessings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. You do whatever you want. Amen. If you're taking notes today, if you have your workbook because you're using it for a small group, you'll see that the big idea at the top of your page, but if you're taking notes, the big idea is this. You can choose to live under a curse or you can truly live because he was cursed. And I want to separate this for you today. We have been talking through the time that we've spent together in this letter about the difference between religion and relationship, between rules and freedom. In fact, this whole book that Paul writes to these churches in Galatea is all about the liberty we find in our relationship with Christ. And this part right here, these four verses, five verses, I believe are a beautiful linchpin to separate us from the tendency to love rules. Now, a few of you are in this room and you're like, just so we're all clear, I break every rule. I don't love rules. It's true. Many of us are good at breaking rules, but every human in some capacity loves rules. We may not like your rules or society's rules or quote unquote, the rules, but think of your own life. You are a creature of habit. 
You have created a series of rules. You like to get up a certain way. You like to go to bed a certain way. You like to brush your teeth. You like to eat this way. You like to do this sort of thing. That's why when the two become one in marriage, the biggest struggle is not all the big issues. It's the little issues, like how the dishes go into the cabinet. Amen. These are rules. I come from a family where the dishes are clearly laid out in a pattern. And my sons like to throw everything in at once. Different rules. The human tendency is to establish, identify, and then adhere to rules. And this is not that big of a deal in your everyday living, but when it comes to your understanding of God and the walk of faith, well, that's where we get into some trouble. So let me set some misconceptions for you today, and, and, and I want to be able to break them by the time that we're done together today. We're about 34 minutes, and there's no Broncos yet. Amen? We got all the time in the world. Come on now. Uh, look, here's the deal. Most people, when they think of rules from God, like the Old Testament, they think that those rules are dead. We think of the Old Testament and the laws as antiquated. And in our own mind, many of us have been able to discount what the Old Testament teaches because we've been taught by grace teachers that the law is a curse, that the law is dead, that the law is no longer worth following. And when you can make the law dead, you become free to not follow the law. Let's talk about this in the real world today. There are laws on the books, amen. There are rules of engagement for the ways in which we live and drive. But if you don't agree with the laws, then you are under no personal obligation to adhere to those laws, amen? I, I'm not trying to make it complicated, I'm just trying to say, you know that you've seen on I-25 that the speed limit is 65. I know you've seen that many years ago. But how many of you are careful to keep it at 64? Because if speed limit means 65, that means the most you can go is 65. But my cruise is set at 66, which means the, no, I'm giving myself away. Some of us have come to a place where on big rules and small rules, we found a way to negate them and say, that one really doesn't matter. That's like if you ever drive on 225. I think the speed limit on 225 is probably somewhere between 112 to 114 miles an hour. That road is like Mad Max, man. That thing's crazy. And that's because so many of us have gotten accustomed to thinking that those laws no longer apply to me. And that's dangerous for society, yes? But it's incredibly dangerous for your faith. Here's the deal. I want to break this off of your life because you've heard many people teach incorrectly that when Jesus came, he got rid of the law, that the, the law was old and now it's dead. But the writer of most of the doctrine of the New Testament does not subscribe to that belief. Hear me. Paul, who writes this letter, does not believe that the law is dead. Amen. But he does know that the law does not give life. 
And this is the difference that we have to make. You see, the challenge is many of us live on one side of the pendulum swing. We believe that the law is dead and gone. It's all grace now. It's just forgiveness. I mess up. He loves me. I don't have to follow the rules. I just ask for forgiveness again. That's this side of the pendulum. The other side of the pendulum is not that the law is dead, but that by following the rules, I can have life. This is where many religions, even those who call themselves Christian, lose their way because they establish a works-based faith or a system of religious ritual that says, if you will adhere to, if you will practice, if you will honor these steps, then you will earn God's favor. You said, that's wonderful. I'm not like that. I don't live like that. Yes, but how many times have you felt guilty for a thing that you did? And instead of running to your prayer closet to lay it out before the father, you tried to do a good deed to make yourself feel better. Have you ever done that before? You ever made a mistake and then tried to cover it up by being nicer? Right? You fooled us for sure, but you have not fooled the king. And so when Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatea, remember that he's writing to combat a false teaching that is bringing people in, inviting people in to repractice some of these old rules and laws. And the language that he uses in this text is incredibly important and we can't miss it, okay? Verse 10, what he says is, for all who rely on works of the law. So first point, if you're taking notes, what you rely on matters. What you put your trust into matters. What you lean on, what you hold on to, what, what matters to you matters to God. And so Paul is writing to the church and he says, it's not that the law is bad, it's that if you rely on practicing the law, well, you're doomed. It says it right here, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. curse. And you said, how could, how, could how could I be as a Christian under, under a curse by doing the right things? Hear me, it's not doing the right things that make you cursed. It's believing that doing the right things makes you blessed, that makes you cursed. Can you see this? You see, the walk of faith with Jesus is believing that I'm blessed, believing that I'm righteous, trusting that he's made me justified. And that trust empowers me through the Holy Spirit to do the right thing. Amen. But the problem is, is that most of us want to do the right thing to convince God that we're good. We're relying on the rules to build the relationship. But the gospel is relationship to better live out the rules. It's a nuance, but boy, if you miss it, you'll continue to stumble into feeling bad about your mistakes and thinking that God is mad at you. Ready? He's not mad at you. When you make mistakes, he doesn't change his mind about you. He never changes his mind about you. Did you know that? Hear me. You can't undo the promise 
of Jesus Christ. I, I, I hope that every one of us gets this today. Because I know what you're saying. Well, there's a few things. No. There's not a few things. There's no things that overcome the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if there were a few things that could overcome the blood of Jesus Christ, then there would be commensurately a few things that could renew the blood of Jesus Christ. If you could negate his love, then you could earn his love. You can't earn his love, so you can't break his love. Come on, somebody. I hope you're with me. I'm teaching today. This stuff matters to you. You need to have freedom and confidence to know that once he says you're righteous, guess what? You're righteous. Even when I mess up? Yep. Even when I fail? Yep. Even when I'm disgusted with myself? Absolutely. Now, here's what you need to know. These laws that Paul says you can't rely on as a means to be justified these laws are still important. They still matter today. The laws of the Old Testament outlined in mostly Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy through the first five books of the, 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 the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch, these laws are meant to detail who God is and God's way of living. Let me say it like this. The laws of the Old Testament are how to live perfectly before God. Okay? Okay. And there are 613 of them. They're, they're called commandments, not negotiables. In the Hebrew, they're called the mitzvot. And they are instructions on how to be perfect. And ready? Here it is. You cannot be perfect. You can't follow them all. The problem is, is that you don't get to pick which ones you follow. The law is to be followed completely. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in his epistle in chapter 2, verse 10, he says the entire law must be followed. Every jot and tittle, every nuance and every remark, every little detail must be followed perfectly. Otherwise, none of it is followed at all. Let me paint a picture for you. There is a plane leaving Denver to LA for a business trip, and two men are going to get onto that plane. One drives from Fort Collins and the other one from Centennial, and they're both late, and they're rushing to get to the airport, and they park, and they get through TSA and they race all the way down to the gate at B25 and one of them shows up one hour late. He missed the flight. The other one showed up one minute late. He missed the flight. It doesn't matter how much time they wasted. They both missed, they both missed the flight. This is the way that the law works. There are not some laws that if you follow, you'll get into heaven. All laws must be perfectly adhered to or no laws have been followed and your sin has eaten you alive. Paul says, if you rely on the works, you're cursed. You said, can't be that hard. 613, I, 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 let, me, let me hear them. I think I got this. Here's a few I know you're not following right now. You ready? I'm going to throw out just a couple for you. A couple laws I'm pretty sure you don't keep. Leviticus 19. Don't ever embarrass anyone. Including yourself. Oh, man. How about this? Deuteronomy 13. Don't be afraid to destroy an entire city when it's turned to idol worship. Y'all doing good on that one? I'm not sure how many of you have already taken up arms over Denver. 
but that's actually what it means. When a, when a city has turned its back on the ways of the Lord, the people of the Lord are called to take it back. You following that one? How about this one? Don't fear killing a false prophet. Make sure you know they're a false prophet first. It says, don't even be afraid. If you hear somebody teaching bad doctrine, stand up, rise up, and take them out. That's why Paul's mean to false prophets. That's why a lot of pastors make their whole ministry on calling people out. How about this one, Leviticus 20? Don't imitate the customs or wear the clothing of non-believers. Everyone wearing Adidas or Nike. Vineyard Vines is a Christian company. I don't even know if that's true. I'm just playing. It means do not assimilate to the things of this world. How about this one? Leviticus 19. Don't be superstitious, not even a little bit. No 13, no lottery, no be lucky. How about this one? Leviticus 19. Men, don't cut your hair at the temples. <laughs> How about this one, Leviticus 19? Men don't shave your beards. How about this one, ladies? Numbers 15. You must have fringe on all the corners of your garments. How about last one? Deuteronomy 8. You must bless God after every meal. Not before. See, you didn't know how much of your faith was actually cultural and not biblical. Now, these are just a few of the things that are included in the standard of God to live righteously, live perfectly. And this isn't even just the big ones that you know about, the ones that are taught by most churches, the ones that become the flashpoints in the division between secular and sacred culture, like God's plan for marriage, or God's understanding of gender, or his understanding of idolatry, or the ways in which he prohibits murder of all life, both born and unborn. Those are the issues we all talk about. But did you know that all of these things that are included in the law are absolutely necessary to be considered in right standing? with God. And now that I've painted the picture, I hope that you realize that's impossible. And you are right. There's no way you can live this out. Not one chance that you can live righteously. And the problem with that is that we all still try to do it. Uh, you're not so worried about the tattoos or the shaved beard, but you are worried about showing up and pretending that you're Christian on an ongoing basis. You are worried about putting on a good face or, or, or playing by the rules at church. One of my favorite kind of people that comes to church is the ones that have literally no idea what they're supposed to do, right? It's worship time and they're like, what is going on right now? The guys who say like, I don't have a Bible. Do you have a Bible? Yeah, I got a Bible. I love the men and women that we get to work with. And when they hang out with me, they'll meet me for coffee. And like every word is a bad word. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you know why? Because they're not willing to fake it. They're going after the things of God, plain and simple. And over time, you can tell that their hearts change because they're dropping F-bombs and cussing all the time. And then halfway through, they're like, oh, sorry, pastor. And I'm like, it's not, I don't, you, it's hit. Never mind. We'll get to it. Look. 
Most of us are consumed with trying to live out the rules. And I want to tell you today, you cannot live out the rules. If you rely on the rules, you will be doomed. You cannot live by the law. Do you know why you can't rely on these things? Because you can't rely on yourself. You can't do this on your own. And the challenge is, is that when we try to rely on the rules, we have to rely on ourselves. And when we make mistakes as humans, we grow a resentment for a God that we think is wrathful and mean. See, if you think that God has a high and impossible standard that you desperately have to live up to, and when you make mistakes, he's mad at you, why would you even want a relationship with that God? And that is the number one critique that you hear about people who have left the church or who hate the church is why is he so mean? If your God is good, why do bad things happen? If your God is good, why does he make me have to live this way? Why can't God just let me be me? Amen. So my question to you as we end this first point and transition real quick is this. What do you rely on? Do you rely on the Christian rules, running the play, practicing the practice, Or do you genuinely rely on a relationship with Jesus that when you fail and we all fail, you bring it to him first and go, man, look at that. Sorry, can we do this better? Do you run to the father when you make a mistake or do you hide from the father when you make a mistake? Do you rush into the throne of grace or do you assume that grace is not available for that? You must understand the ways in which you engage with God by his rules or his relationship. It will dictate the way you create an identity of God. And so Paul turns the corner and he says, if you rely on these works, you're cursed. But he says in 11, now it's evidence that no one is justified before God by the law. Ready? For the righteous live by faith. I love that line. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. He says it earlier in this letter in Galatians two. He talks about it in Romans. It is the quintessential understanding of our engagement, our interaction with God. It's all throughout the book of Hebrews. In fact, the very concept that we would live, move, have our being by faith, our understanding, belief, trust, and obedience in is exactly the way you should understand your walk as a Christian. You are called to live, to trust him. But you said I had to be perfect. Yep. Well, I don't get it. Don't worry. You're not supposed to perfectly understand this thing. There's tension in the text. You see, there's an understanding that you're called to be perfect, but you can't be perfect. And you're called to trust him even when you don't trust yourself. And living in this tension that feels like a back and forth pull is meant to remove from you the desire to be reliant solely upon self that you might be reliant on the God who makes it all up. If you could understand this, you'd build a system of rules to practice it. Because that's what religion is. People are like, I figured it out. How many times have you seen this? We have the secret. No, you don't. There is no secret. It's faith. And so Paul writes, he says, what you rely on matters and what you live by matters. Faith is the key. Trust 
is the answer relying and believing that God is, was, and always will be, and what he says is true even when it doesn't look like it. Salvation has always been about faith. And here's the fun part. This salvation, redemption, justification that we get by faith in Jesus Christ, it's not a new plan. It's always been the plan. You may not know this, but Israel couldn't live up to the rules of the law. Not one person lived perfectly, except for maybe Enoch. But that's a whole nother teaching. Enoch was so good, God was like... But the rest of them, just like you and me, would make a million mistakes and could not adhere to the practice of the law. They knew the rules. They still know the rules. Orthodox Jews still practice all 613 of the mitzvah. They all follow them, and yet no one has ever been able to perfectly adhere to it. That's why part of the laws in Hebrew, part of the, the rules for the nation that was called Israel, included a day of atonement, a day of sacrifice, so that the laws that they broke and the sins that they committed could still be atoned for through sacrifice. It was a fail-safe, and even the sacrifice didn't include faith. It was just a practice. You see, no one has been able to ever do it right. But it has always been possible to trust God. You see, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But it is hard to believe God, am I right? It's hard to be a person of faith. It's actually a lot easier to follow the rules. Amen? If you just tell me exactly what to do, I will do it. How many of you are rule people? You love rules. My wife is the queen of rules. We have all sorts of rules. Do you know that in our house, uh, there's a, a way to get ready for bed? Uh, my sons aren't here, they had to go to football practice, but they will tell you in our house, there are rules to get ready for bed. And I hate to break it to my wife in front of you all today, but I don't need, I don't, I'm always ready for bed. <laughs> I'm good. I can go, I can sleep right now. Lots of people have rules all the time. It's, it's actually easier to follow the rules. The problem is, is that when we love the rules, live by the rules, We can follow the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law. You see, those laws that I told you about, some of them sounded absurd. Don't wear the clothing of unbelievers. Does that really mean that I can't wear fashion designers? No, it means that you can't live in such a manner that would make you look as though you are not one of God's, but one of them. You say, wait a minute, I, I don't understand. You, you mean to tell me that there are some rules that, 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 that have a deeper meaning? Like the fringes on the corners of your garments. Is, is wearing fringe not just cool in leather, but also good in the kingdom? No, it, it, was, it was meant to separate you so that when people saw you, they know who you belong to. You see, many of these laws that seemed absurd to follow are absurd when you only think about the practice, but when you know the person behind the practice, they hold a whole different truth. And you don't want to fall into the trap of following rules and miss the reason for the rules. 
in my house, you must wash your face and brush your teeth. And if you don't know the reason of brushing your teeth, which is good hygiene, amen, you'll just do it like my 14-year-old son will do. (laughs) He brushes teeth, but not really, right? That's the problem with rules. It still happens today. You may not know this, but in most major North American cities today, there is a thin clear, nearly invisible line of fishing wire strung along the street posts in certain areas. Oh, I'm teaching something new today. This is going to blow your mind. You will never stop looking for this. In Denver and nearly every major American city, there is something called the Air-U-V, E-R-U-V. And the Air-U-V is literally fishing wire strung up around a geographic location used by Orthodox Jews to create what's called a personal space. You may not know this, but Orthodox Jews still practice Shabbat or the Sabbath. And the rules of Shabbat or the Sabbath are that you must not carry anything outside of your own home. In your home, you can carry your baby. You can carry your food to the table, but you cannot carry the trash outside your home to the trash can. You cannot carry your baby to the car. You can't drive a car. You can't carry your wallet to go to the store. You can't go to the store because that's the public space. And on Shabbat, you can't go from private to public. You must be in private. Do you know why? Because Shabbat, Sabbath, is meant to be a time of separation, of solitude, and worship. But so that families can live their life and not break Shabbat, Orthodox Jewish cultures build the Eruv. And it is thin fishing wire spread in Denver. It's in uh, East Denver. It's about 11 square miles. And it's blessed. And then declared that everything inside of the Eruv is now personal space. This is no knock on the Orthodox Judaist practice. But I need you to see this very clearly. In an effort not to break the rule they change the rule. So you can now leave your house and go anywhere you want in an 11 mile space. And by the way, it's the awesome part of Leedsdale, Alameda, Colorado, where that killer target is. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's good ground. No, Um, I get it. No, wait. The idea is that so that we don't break the rule, we will expand the ways in which we can interpret the rule. And what happens is they're following the letter of the law, but missing the whole purpose of the law. The reason for Shabbat is time with God, not time at Target. And so spreading the the personal space out means that they've essentially negated God's reason for the rule. That's why people who are trapped and Catholicism can't figure out why they keep praying the Our Father and saying the Hail Mary and running the rosary and they still feel guilty because the practice is not the same as the person. The rules are not the relationship. Hear me today. I don't want you to be the kind of Christian who follows the rules and doesn't know the Jesus who made the rules. I want to be the kind of Christian who knows Jesus. And when I break the rules, he goes, we got this, bro. I want to be that kind of a Christian. I want to be free in Jesus' name. I don't want to have to find ways to fake it and pretend I make it. Y'all with me on this? Then when you drive through East Denver, 
you will see the ways in which we as humans will bend the rule just to get over the hurdle, but miss the finish line altogether. And so knowing all of this, God does something pretty remarkable. The Bible tells it in verse 13 and 14, it says, so Christ redeemed us from the curse of living under the law. Oh my God. This, this word redeemed, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the Greek word exagerazo, and it means to ransom. The actual picture here is, is of, of Jesus becoming the curse. And in doing so, the term redemption here, the ransom, it means that he, he paid a price for those who are slaves. This is literally what it means. It is to pay for a slave for the express purpose of setting them free. See, what happens is that when Jesus comes, he does not come that you might be touchy-feely forgiven, amen? He does not come to fulfill the law and give you power to be obedient and follow the rules. He does not just come to do these things. Jesus comes as ransom. Jesus comes and says, how much will it cost to save them from their sin? And God lays out the price and Jesus says, I will become the price. I will become the curse. I will become the punishment. I will become all that they deserve so that, ready, they get what I deserve. Yes, sir. That's the final picture of this verse in 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us so that we might receive the promise and the spirit through faith. You see, the curse is our blessing. And the last two parts of this passage is really just Paul poetically showing his understanding of the scripture. You see, in just these four verses, Paul is essentially alluded to or directly quoted over seven Old Testament scriptures. In just five sentences, he's just dropped bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb to prove to everyone in that church and in this church, hey, here's the deal. The law still matters. The standard is still in place. You can't meet it. So he met it. Believe it. That's the gospel. That's it. That, that, that's, that's why the, the same concept is true in 2 Corinthians. Let me show you this to you real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You've heard this before, I hope, but it matters. Chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, For our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be your sin. Think about your sin. What's the worst one that causes you the most shame? The one you regret, the, the, regret, the one you worry about, the one you fear that if we knew we'd turn our backs on you, the one that you keep a secret, the one that you can't stop reliving, the one that you worry about, the flashback. What's the worst one? You got the worst one? You want it? You have it? You hate it? Jesus became that. He says, he made him that. So when he hung on that cross, it wasn't symbolic. It was adultery. It was murder. It was the selling of self. It was every lie you told and every corner you cut. 
It was the way you badmouthed those people that didn't do anything wrong but tell you the truth. It was the pain that you inflicted on others because you were hurt on the inside. He became that. Why would he do that? It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that ready, in him, that's Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The picture is this. There is not one righteous, not one, save for Jesus. And God reveals his law that you and I might know just how far the chasm is between flesh and spirit. He sets the standard absurdly high so that we don't just run the play and practice it to earn it and then think ourselves worthy. Then he sends Jesus, the only one who is worthy, to take all that is unworthy onto himself so that you can be called worthy. Gosh, I wish you could see just how much that he loves you. I wish that you could see just how effusive his adoration is for you. On the day when you feel so disgusted that once again you fell into the same thing, I wish you could sense his deep and abiding affection for you. When he says, I can take that if you want me to. You see, that's the problem with rules is that we think it's all on us. And the relationship with Jesus says it's, it's all on him. Man, you guys can come up. You're here today. You came to Easter, love the crowns. But you walked back in on the Sunday after Easter and if you're being honest with yourself, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. There's a lot of worry and anger about who you are and what you've done. There's a lot of cause and concern about whether who you are can be loved by him. Whether you can do enough to get out of the past if it's even possible for there to be a future with you. I want to tell you today that the answer is on your own. They don't stand a chance. Hear me. I didn't come to preach a message of self-empowerment to you on this Sunday. Self-empowerment says that self can be the solution and you are not the solution. You cannot fix this. You cannot change this. But he can change it. And if you're here and you're frustrated and you're worried and you're scared and you're like, I know me. I I don't even love me. I want to tell you that there is a God who loves you for you. And his love is more than enough for you. His ways are perfect and his will can take you from where you are to where God's called you to be, which is perfect. You're here today, I want to pray a prayer with you. It's not the finish line, it's the starting line. This prayer is going to go like this. Would you bow your head?
You're in this room today and you're ready, ready to break the rules, ready to break the rituals and the religion off your life and ready to walk into a true relationship with Jesus that says, I am needy and you are worthy. This is a prayer I want to encourage you to pray with me today. In fact, all over the room, would you help pray this with me to encourage those who are praying it for the first time? Father God, I am a sinner and I keep making mistakes. But Jesus, I believe that you ransomed me because you love me, that you've made a way for me to be perfect. On my own, I can't do it. And I know that. So I surrender. You can have all of me. Break the curse of religion and give birth to a relationship. You are Lord and you are King. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!